Good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much for that, Jolene. And she did. She actually sent me her notes, and they are tiny. Um, but uh, yeah, so thankfully you can zoom in on the on the on the. Well, she actually her way of sending notes is just taking photos of her notes and then sending the photos. So uh, thank you very much. But she did it really really quick. So I thought that was quite neat. Um, I just want to uh, one more quick announcement before we get into the word together. My wife goes back to New Zealand on Tuesday to see her dad because her dad is now on his last legs. Just pray for her. Uh, her and Jorella going over. Um, he's been through a lot in regards uh, his experience with cancer, that he's experiencing three different cancers in his lungs, uh, elsewhere in his body as well as in his brain. Um, so she's going there to care for him in the last few weeks of his life. Um, she has had the privilege, her and Faith had the privilege of going there a little while ago and sharing with him. And, and now he's at that point. He's at that point now when the seriousness, where the doctors have shared with him the seriousness of the situation and, and now he's confronted with his mortality and what happens. And my wife just basically said, he's scared. He's scared. And, and see, this is the hope we have in Christ is the fact that we don't have to fear because death has lost its thing, sting. The, the grave has lost its victory because of Christ. And, and please pray for her as she goes over to care for him, um, that everything runs smoothly. And, and I praise God for her because she provides a lot of stability for the family in this time of uncertainty. Uh, so please pray for her in regards to that aspect of it. Uh, last week, we actually did the first part of her Habakkuk, Habakkuk. I noticed last week when my daughter was telling me, Dad, you say Habakkuk. I didn't know what you were saying when you're saying Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. And I was like, I don't know why I started saying that either. So I'm going to use them interchangeably. So one time I might say Habakkuk, the other time I say Habakkuk. It's the same guy, okay? I just want to sort of clarify that. But last week, Last week we started uh, in Habakkuk, this whole idea of when God answers complaints. And I don't know whether you've identified in your life how many complaints go through your minds, not just toward God, but toward people in general. And if you have been able to identify that, to know that ultimately God has his plans and his workings, even in each of those situations, irrespective of how you see him. Now, the prophet was really interesting uh, Habakkuk. It was, it was really interesting in regards that his dialogue with God was his disapproval of the apparent powerlessness and non-involvement of God in his people's lives. And these three observations that sort of came from him, he was, because of this inactivity and because of this powerlessness, Habakkuk actually expressed his worries. He expressed his concerns. He even demonstrated his unhappiness at the answer he received, and which really made me think about myself and even ourselves as the people of God, how we too, we, we worry, don't we? We worry, even though we are told in the Scriptures that we are not to worry about what we eat or what we drink. That's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We concern ourselves with civilian affairs, and we, we find ourselves being entangled in those affairs, even though Paul says in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he actually expresses that, you know, we don't, can, we don't entangle ourselves with the cares and affairs of this life. We are unhappy, especially when we don't receive the answer that we were expecting to receive, or more accurately, that we wanted to receive, even though the Lord Jesus teaches us through Paul the Apostle in Philippians 4, 4, that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 
See, those three things that Habakkuk actually expresses are the same things that we express as well. And therefore, the answer that God gives Habakkuk in this chapter is actually the same answer that applies to us now. And my prayer is that as we look into the Scriptures together, this, this second part from last week's sermon, which I'm actually quite excited by, I pray that we'd be able to draw those same lessons and apply them to our lives, irrespective of the context that we're in. So if you want to bow your head with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the testimonies, Lord, of what you are doing, what you are teaching, how you are blessing, how you are encouraging, that you are working in all of our lives, irrespective of the context we find ourselves in. We thank you that you're a God that involves himself, yourself, personally, in each of your children's lives. And we ask for that involvement to take part now as we look into your word, that by your spirit you might meet us where we're at, that you might reveal to us things that need changing, and more importantly, Lord, that you might sharpen our spiritual senses to identify your hand at work in our lives. And so, Father, we commit our time to you now. Help me to speak slowly and clearly, and more importantly, Lord, help us to recognize the voice of your spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I, I've done something different today. All I've done today is I've put up Bible references. There might be the occasional Bible verse and quote, but if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to actually open your Bible and look at the actual Bible passages as they come up on the screen. Because I was looking through it, and, and I, was, I, I sort of was going through it, and I thought, it's so much easier just to put Bible references, and it'll enable us to look into the Scriptures together. So we're going to start off in Habakkuk chapter 3. And what Habakkuk chapter 3 is, is actually Habakkuk's prayer. And this prayer is really interesting because it's a tone that changes. You see, he complains, and then God answers. He complains again, and then God answers again. And then in chapter 3, he responds with his prayer. I would encourage you to read through this, this prayer on your own time. But I'm going to start off with chapter 3, verse 2, because this is the change of attitude in response to the Lord's answer that he receives the chapter 4. So in chapter 3, verse 2, we read this. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day and in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. In the King James, it actually talks about that when he says, in the midst of the people, he says, revive your work. You see, what's really fascinating is with the complaints that Habakkuk makes, God, in his response, actually stirs his soul and causes him to revive. To revive out of his apathy. To revive out of his disappointment. To revive at the somewhat misconception of what God does and how God works. We are all after revival. We serve a God who revives. We serve a God who regenerates. That's the God we serve. And, and he works this through the sharing of his word with Habakkuk in personally. And, and this is the start. And I just thought, this is where it kicks off. And, and I thought, this is really quite neat. What was it that he heard or experienced in the Lord's answer in the previous chapter because his whole demeanor has now changed? Which brings me to my first point. We had two points last week. We're going to have two points today. And this is my first point as we kick things off. How did this revival take place in Habakkuk's heart? How did this revival occur where it actually changed? This is how it started. He saw God's majesty and justice. That's verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. He starts off with this whole idea of, Lord, 
Lord, you, you look at the change of focus in this verse in comparison to chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 1, verse 12. You have these ones here. For example, in chapter 1, verse 1, his answer is this, Oh, Lord, how long? It's a complaint. Oh, Lord, what you doing? How long do we need to put up with this? In verse 12, Lord, are you from everlasting? I, he's, sort of, he's sort of questioning, really? Is this who you are? Is this what you're doing? In comparison to chapter 3, verse 2, Lord, Lord, he is, he is now seeing God in his correct position. He is now understanding who God is. He has seen the majesty. See, in both of these queries, there are honest questions asked of God by the prophet, which does actually raise a really cool question, which I think is important to make here. God is not afraid of questions. Uh, he, we, we sometimes think we may have to defend God or whatever, but he's big enough to handle your questions. You don't understand something, that's fine. You can ask God about it. You don't see God working, that's fine. You can ask God. He's not fearful. He's not, I like the word, he's not discombobulated by the questions that you give him. He is not, I've, just wanted, I've always wanted to use that word, just that's all. He, he's not distressed when you bring him something. He's not confused. He's not fearful. You throw a question to him, I guarantee you, he will answer it. But the answer may not be what you want. That's the reality. You, you might not even get an answer at all. And have, have, I, have I asked God questions? Yes. Have, have, I, have I received answers from God all the time? Well, yes. Have I liked those answers? Oh, no. Oh, no. But don't be fearful to ask God. As a loving father, that's what he does. He, he inclines his ear to us. Now, bear in mind... Um, the principle of Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, I believe, is one that sits there and says, The Lord's hand is not shortened where it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your sins have separated between you and your God, that he will not save and that he cannot hear. So be aware of that in regards when you're talking with the Lord and stuff, whether there is any hidden sin or anything that you're holding on to that he's asked you to deal with. But here... We move with Habakkuk, we move from questions to acknowledgement. He's gone from, oh Lord, how long, to Lord, you are the sovereign one. Lord, you are the self-existent one. Lord, you are the eternal one. You are the one who is in charge, the one who is boss. And it's this acknowledgement that is a complete turnaround from these previous two, two verses in chapter 1. So I think it's important then what caused the change. I'm sure you have met people that have sort of, you met them one time and they're like, oh. you've seen them again and they're full of life and vitality and, and all that sort of stuff. And they're like, yeah, excited. What took place? What took place in this? And this is where we have a look. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 5, we see the Lord's answer to a second complaint. The first complaint was looking at God's willingness to not actually deal with what's going on. His second complaint was Habakkuk questioning his character, questioning what he does. And you can have a read through that in chapter 2. But I've got a sub-point here. The Lord replied again to Habakkuk. This is the grace of God of responding to ignorant people. The grace of God responding to ignorant people. In chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Then the Lord replied, or then the Lord answered. 
Now, I come from a Polynesian home. And I was talking with my brother about this earlier on this week because he came up from Melbourne. He pastors a church down there. And we're talking about our, our upbringing. And it's really interesting that in Polynesian families, you have very distinctive groups. In my wife's family, it's not so much. The kids sort of intermingle with the adults. You'll have the kids sitting around the adults, having a coffee, talking, laughing, making fun of one another, all that sort of stuff. In a Samoan home with my, myself, we were growing up, and there was the distinct groupings within the house. At my house, we have a little two-story house. Whenever the uncles and aunties came over, all the adults were upstairs. All the kids were downstairs. The kids had to do the cleaning. Joey, yeah, come make a coffee. Okay, I go upstairs. I've finished. Yeah, Joey, yeah, go back downstairs. Okay. It was very, very distinct. And never, never the twain shall meet. Never the twain shall meet. It was always the case in Psalm 1 homes. It's even... So much so that it's even the case now. When I was back in New Zealand for my mum's funeral, you had all the adults upstairs, all my uncles and aunties, they're all upstairs. You had all us kids, all the cousins, we were downstairs, and all our kids were outside. <laughs> when it rained, we let them under the veranda, but we wouldn't let them inside. They, you kids out there, you kids out there. And when it was funny, because it did the distinct sort of difference, when my mum would sit there and go, Joey, yeah, come and do the dishes. I'll go, hey, you kids, get up there and do dishes. Like, yeah. But that's the groupings that are formed. Okay? Now, the reason why I say this is because often when you would ask an adult a question, what was the response? Because I said so. What are we doing? Why do we have to do this? Because I said. Where are we going? Why do we have to go here? Because I want to. There was that distinct attitude that was communicated. Now, what I find really amazing about that illustration is that God is not like that. He has his prophet make a complaint. He answers, not once, but twice. And not only does he answer once, but twice, but he even elaborates on what he's doing, how he's doing it, and when he's going to do it. That is the grace of God in demonstrating an amazing grace by explaining to Habakkuk what is going on. Habakkuk had an issue. Yes, Habakkuk voiced his complaint, yes, and God not only answered, but explained what was going to happen. And not only did he explain what was going to happen and how it was going to happen, he also gave specific instruction to Habakkuk about what he needs to do. Um, You can read this. This is actually found in verses 2 to 4. I'm going to read it to you. I don't actually have this. In chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, I think I'm reading from the ESV. I didn't write it down here. He says this, write down, write down the revelation Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Verse 3, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks to the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The first word of verse 4, C. So we have here, write down, make it plain, wait for it, and see. The instruction for Habakkuk is important because it reveals the necessity, necessity to not only hear what's being said, but to act on what's being said as well. See, too many times we as Christians hear a word for the, from the Lord and do nothing about it. We are prompted by the Spirit and resist His movement, or are convicted by the Father and turn away. That this is... And, and, Habakkuk to follow that instructions means that he's not only understood 
what is being said, but he's able to take that message and communicate it clearly to those that are around. Case in point, I have something here. If you, if you happen to be a leader within the church or a cell group leader, or if you're just interested, this is something that God has prompted me about, which I have not acted on. So I have a hat. This is a cool hat. But this is a very special hat today because it's got something which... Uh, the, uh, the only people that don't need to come is John and Chris, Nick and Joe, Craig and Sue Ann, because they're special. Now, I've already seen them. I've already seen them. Okay, so, but if you're a leader, or if you're just interested about what secrets the hat holds, then come on down. Come and see me afterwards. I'll be, I'll be doing some cleaning, but come and see me, and I'll reveal to you the secrets of the hat. Okay, but this is something that God has prompted my heart with through the saints, through the brothers and sisters, through, through Brother Bill individually, actually. And this is something that we're going to act on in, in building one another up within the church. So remember, the secrets of the hat, they shall be revealed. So, but this is what happens. God tells Habakkuk, Habakkuk responds, he's instructed. Now, the fact that Habakkuk speaks of what's being heard, of what's being heard, if you go back there, he goes this, he goes, I have, I have heard of your fame. So first he acknowledges God in his rightful position. No longer is being questioned, but saying, yes, this is who you are. And then he says, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. You, you know that for a fact he would know the history of his people. He would know the miraculous workings of God throughout the history of Israel, whether it be the triumph of David over Goliath, the victory of Samson over the Philistines, the destruction of, of the ruler Caesarea at the hand of Jael, the tent dweller. If you guys don't know who that is, read Judges. She's the lady that spiked the guy through the head. Uh, it's a great story. You could do the read of like Lot's, Lot's deliverance, Israel's salvation and conquering of the promised land, God's provision over and over and over. You see, not only does Habakkuk see him in his rightful position, he recognized what he is capable of. I have, I have heard your deeds. I, 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 stand in, I stand in awe of this. Too often we as the people of God serve a God that is far too small. We as the people of God fail to see the God who created the heavens and earth. Or if we do recognize and acknowledge him as the creator of heaven and earth, it goes as far as our speech. It goes as far as our, our head, head knowledge. But to understand that truth, like a backward here, should transform our lives. And then we see things in front of us, actually think, wow, what do I have to fear? Why do I need to worry? Why am I so unhappy? Why am I so concerned? See, this is something that Habakkuk finally came to because he understood. He understood who God was. I mean, if you look on Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28, in the words of Isaiah, it's the recounting of God's greatness. Isaiah 28, and I've got verse 2, verses 5 and 6. Uh, verses, oh, that, oh, Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14. Basically, it talks about the goodness of God. We'll come back to that later. But Isaiah chapter 28, verses 2, 5, 6, and 13 says this. Uh, verse 5 says, See, the Lord has one who is powerful, has one who is powerful and strong, like a hailstorm and a destructive wind, like a driving rain and a flooding downpour. He will throw it forcefully to the ground. Verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 28. In that day, the Lord Almighty will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of his people. He will be a spirit of justice to the one who sits in judgment 
a source of strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Verse 13, so then the word of the Lord to them will become, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here and a little there, so that as they go, they will fall backward, they will be injured and snared and captured. If only we could come to such a conclusion in having all our stripped away and put together the same truths that Habakkuk did. He saw the majesty and justice of God revealed. History, sorry, uh, history in judgment. His, sorry, his majesty in judgment, his goodness and his correction and his discipline. If only we could came that, come, come to that conclusion. You see, what happens in chapter two after this, Verse here from verses two to five, he goes through what's going to happen to the Chaldeans. He speaks about this, and he actually he actually identifies it to Habakkuk. He he basically says, "Woe, woe, woe," continually. But it's a word that he had received from God as to what he's going to do with his people and through his people. Now. The reason I see this as important is because you and I have been given a word too. You and I have been given a word that was actually spoken to the disciples and applies to us now. A, a word that expresses the majesty and the justice of the Lord. It emphasizes his view of us and extends beyond the mere answer of because I said so or because I wanted to. A word that should cause us to proclaim with Habakkuk, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds. That starts in John 15, 15. This is the word that the Lord has to us. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Can you, can you grasp that for a second? I don't call you servants. I call you friends. This is one of the curses of having no hair. You sweat terribly and it drips everywhere. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Right now, I can see Carla and Mel are just like, ooh, that just looks so wrong. I'm so sad. <laughs> it's okay, John. I'm not going to throw that on you, brother. I'm not going to throw that on you. But think about that. He doesn't call us servants. He calls us friends. We have received this word from the Lord himself that we are the friends of God in Christ. That word, John 14, verses 1 to 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm, that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That's a word that we've received that we've got a place waiting for us, that the Lord's going to come back and take us to himself. That's a word that we've received. That word, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. See, the word that he's communicated to us has done so to revive our hearts. It's to get our focus on him and, to, and what he's doing. We've been called his friends, not servants. We have a place in store for us. 
that he's going to take us to himself, that he's going to come down personally at the trump of the archangel and the void and the shout of the Lord call us to be with himself. You know what that's to do for us? That's to stir us up. That's to, to stir our hearts. I remember speaking with a whole bunch of students. We're from Jolene all the way to you know, little Jono, even Sandy. These guys, I remember, it, it's even happening now. We had a graduation just recently, and I was speaking with some of the year 12 students. And I was asking, how are you guys going? And they're like, not good. I'm just so sick of it. I'm just so sick of it. And often the word given to them is, you're nearly there. You're nearly there. When you know the destination, when you know the timetable, when you know the frame, when, when you're actually at the end, you get that little bit of, of a second wind. It's, it's like I, I used to work in a factory. My mum used to work in a factory, and I used to go help her out. And she would collate calendars. Just, it was the most boring thing ever. And you're given a pallet full of paper, and you just take one, two. It was like 16 pieces of paper that you had to collate, thread through, stick in a machine, and join them. That's it. Can you imagine eight hours of doing that? My, my mom did that for years to help support us. But I was thinking about that. That's so boring. And I remember how it's like, oh, it's, it's so big. Oh, oh, man. But when you get towards the end, when you've got like the last thousand, you're like, yeah, yeah. And you start getting excited, don't you? You start getting excited. And it's like the last 500. Whoa. And it gets so much so that when you're close to the end, you get to like the last 200, the last 200 or so, and then someone says, yeah, I'll finish it off. You're like, no way, man. No, I've, I've spent all my time doing this. I'm not going to give you the rest to finish it off. I want to do this and get it out of the way. And you do it and you're like, I'm done. But see, this is, we are given a word from the Lord of who we are and of where we're going. We also know for a fact that we are in the last days. We're in the days of Acts. Therefore, we should have that same urgency to see this through. Because that's what the Lord has called us to do. That is what we've been given. The grace of God that answers our ignorance. That while we may not receive the answer we want to our prayers, we know for a fact that the word he's given us is to supersede that. Actually, it supersedes us to the fact that you look at our next point. I'll just share with this verse here. Psalm 89, 14 says this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. We are to be focused on the majesty of God's glory and the righteousness of his justice. If we could see God's majesty and understand the way he works with his justice, I think that would help revive our spirits, irrespective of what obstacles we face. But it does actually lead us into the next point. The second point is this, understanding his character and his works. He says this, Lord, repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Because God is love, because God is faithful, we see Habakkuk humbly ask for God, for the God of ages, the ancient of days, to do as he will in accordance with his plan. It is the, it is the adherence of the exhortation to chapter 2, verse 4. This is God desiring Habakkuk, irrespective of what was in front of him, to get his focus right. You know what that verse is? But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. In the ESV, but the righteous shall live by his faith. King James, but the just shall live by faith. Faith is important. Faith, we are told in Hebrews eleven six, is what pleases God. 
or faith causes the Lord to marvel like he did with the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. Faith reveals the acknowledgement of our incapacity and our inadequacy to do things for ourselves. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. We are told that in Hebrews 11.1. 1. And is what Jesus encouraged in John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. I'll just read it very quickly. Not John, 20, not John 24. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. This is Jesus and Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, uh, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, his, see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, verse 26, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Faith is what we are encouraged to do. And, and once again, faith is this very aspect that people belittle because they see it as being associated with a willing ignorance. But that is not the faith that Jesus has in mind. Jesus' idea of faith is engagement of the whole being, not just a willing following. This is why he says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's, it's, it's a holistic faith. It's an engagement of all of us, not just focusing on the feels to feel good in, in, in a bad time, to have a crutch to lean on as, as how some people deem it. And because Habakkuk, he was not experiencing the feels. Habakkuk's situation in all the nation of Israel, he was experiencing something far different from that. But his faith had to go beyond what he saw and to the God behind all that took place. That's the reason why when God explained everything to him, that is why he was humbled. That is why he was shocked. That is why he was right, because God was at work. And God, by his grace, gave him an insight to that. There was a word, if anything, this was a word of encouragement to show Habakkuk that one, he sees the apostasy of his people and will deal with it, and two, that the ungodly people that reign over them is only temporary. It's only temporary. You place that in our situations today. I don't know what your context is. I don't know what's going on. But I do know this. The hard times you're going through, only for a season. The difficulties that you experience, it's only temporary. And even if you experience it right up to the point where you get called home to glory, well, then you don't have to worry about it anymore, do you? because you'll be the presence of your Savior. Do I like that? No. Do I agree with it? Well, I don't have much of a choice. 
But I do know this, that my God is faithful. I do know this, that my God loves me. And and what God does here is that he explains to Habakkuk, all throughout Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 19, he says this. I don't think I put it up there. But in Habakkuk chapter 2, yeah, I didn't put it up there. Chapter 2, verse 6, he says this. This is what's going to happen to the Chaldeans. He says in chapter 2, verse 6, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loathes himself with pledges. He says, woe. Verse 9, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. Verse 12, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Verse 15, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Verse 19, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it. He speaks woe to the Chaldeans. And this is the word that Habakkuk hears. And this is the word that changes Habakkuk's mind to say, no, God is at work. Now you take these same principles to where you are now, whatever, whatever it is that you're going through, the temporary things that you're experiencing, God is working in those things. And we are told within the scriptures that what? He has plans not to harm us, but to prosper us. That, that he is a God who loves us and cares for us. That he is a God that provides all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We are told that. And we know those things. So even when you aren't experiencing that, it does not mean that he's not working. This is why faith is so important. See, in the understanding of God's character, in understanding his holiness, his love, his compassion, his judgment, his nature, all of those things, then the natural result is to come to an understanding of the works that he performs that fall in line with his holy character. We understand that he's a God of holiness and that everything he does is in line with his holiness. We understand that he's a God of love and that everything he does is in line with his love. We understand that he's a God of righteousness, that he's a God of mercy, that he's a God of punishment, that he's a God of anger and discipline. We understand all of those things, but We also need to understand and accept that all of those things fall in line with this very nature that are for our benefit. And that's the hardest thing. That is the hardest thing. I know for a fact when my dad would say stuff to me, it could be something as simple as, Dad, can I go out? And he'd say, no. And I'd be like, and I'd be really upset. But my dad had a reasoning for that. And it was because of his love for me that he stopped me from doing those things. So it is with my God. He speaks because he is the God of grace. He refutes because he is the God of truth. He accepts because he is a God of love. He rejects because he is a God of liberty. And because he demonstrates all his attributes, because he demonstrates all of these attributes, all of these attributes for us, he is not weak or he is not sensitive, he is not fearful of such challenges. Rather, he enables us to see what he is doing and trust him in that. Now, just so you know, Habakkuk was not the only person to complain. Habakkuk wasn't the only person to actually ask questions of God. This is what one commenter actually says. 
He says, many people in the Bible expressed passionate, honest, and even angry prayers. Habakkuk wasn't the only one to voice his complaints. Moses, Gideon, Elijah, and Job, among others, also questioned and argued with God. God listens with a sympathetic ear when we complain about injustice. When jolted by life's unfairness, we should realize that God was bothered by such things long before we were. In fact, injustice would not upset us at all if God had not given human beings an inherent desire for justice. Our sense of right and wrong come from Him. That's Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through to 32. Because God knows our deepest thoughts, we might as well be honest with Him and ourselves and admit our feelings of outrage or confusion. But watch out. God's answer may be as perplexing as our question. God's answer to our question may not be what we expect. As Habakkuk, Job, and others discovered, God seldom explains himself or his ways. And if he does, people seldom comprehend his explanation. Instead, they are overwhelmed with his power and love. In the end, though we may not know the answers to all of our questions, we come to know God better. Philippians 3, 7 to 11. So, here is where we can be encouraged and blessed in our relationship with God and Jesus Christ. The ultimate act of grace that can revive our hearts like it did for Habakkuk starts with the same point he started with. Seeing the majesty and justice of God as reflected not only in the Old Testament, but more importantly, in the person of Jesus Christ. The majesty of God incarnate, the glory of God the Son, anointed by the Spirit and publicly acknowledged by God the Father, the justice of the Christ. You think about it, he gave a voice to the silenced, who came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance, that, that gave hope to the outcasts, accepted acceptance to the downtrodden, and value to the unworthy whose character declared the Father, and that even in being falsely accused, he remained quiet, whose discernment called out the religiosity and hypocrisy of the spiritual and religious leaders of those days, and whose works went further than just healing the sick or teaching the truth, but extended to the being nailed on a cross for the sacrifice of our sins. This This is the ultimate act of grace. This is what stirs our hearts. This is what should stir our hearts. We have become so accustomed to hearing the story of Jesus that we lose sight of how valuable and how rich and how great that actually is. The fact that he calls us and acknowledges us as friends, the fact that we are sealed by the Spirit, the fact that all the wrongdoings, all our attitudes, all our offenses, all our sin was nailed to him on the cross. We lose sight of that. Yes, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. Can you think about that? Somebody died for you so you didn't have to. Somebody gave their life up so you didn't have to give it. Somebody gave up their rights so you could have rights. Somebody did this for you for no other reason except they loved you. If anything is to revive our hearts, should not that. But see, this, this is the grace. This is the the work that was accepted by God and completed because he rose from that death. He rose from that tomb. He rose from the grave. 
See, this grace that has been given to us means that we can ask, we may even complain, but God is God. The Lord, He is God. The God who calls us to see His majesty and justice and to understand His character and His works. To begin here means that we will eventually, like Habakkuk, be revived. That our relationship will deepen. But it comes further than just this. I had a great time being with Pastor Roger earlier on. Jacob and I went up to spend some time at a camp with Pastor Roger. It was a really good day. It was a really good day. And I was, I was talking with Pastor Roger. We're having a chat. And something that he said to me, which really stuck to me, he says, you know what's really cool? With all the richness that we have here in Christ, it doesn't do anything if it stays here. It doesn't do anything if a revival, a revival that doesn't actually move us into action is not a revival at all. And, and this is what the, the Lord desires. He desires to revive us in order to make us do something or allow us to do something because we're alive. See, we want to be like Habakkuk who can sit there and say, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your, awe of your deeds, Lord. And Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known, in wrath, remember mercy. See, this is, this is what we want to actually do. That when we hear and we are expectant of God to move amongst us, of God to stir our hearts into action. And it might start with something as simple as, Lord be retirement village. It might be something as simple as, gingerbread house. It might be as simple as maybe a, a Friday night youth group. It might be something as simple as reaching your next door neighbor and trying to talk to them about Jesus. Or even just having a friendship with your next door neighbor because everyone's in their own little castles nowadays. It might be something as simple as going out on the street and doing a music thing that, that, that like with the, the youth did with Michael just recently. Something as simple as that, so that we can sit down. So, so when he sits here and says, I've heard of your fame, I've heard of your fame, no one wants to live off other people's stories. No one wants to hear what, I, you want to be able to communicate stories of God doing things in your life, not in others. My brother, my brother, he, 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 see, he, here's, here's an interesting fact where my brother was sharing with me, I, I shared this with Andos, because uh, he passes down in Melbourne, he was sharing with me that a, a, a guy came to the church and, and, and he received Christ. And he asked him how he, how he came there. And he says, I was, I was sitting there on the, at, at a bus stop and I was like, Lord, give me a sign. Like, are you real? I, I, can you give me a sign? And after he said that, a guy walks up to him from the church, from my brother's church, gives him a gospel tract. And the title of the tract, are you asking for a sign? And he's like, Oh. So I went along to this fellowship and I became saved that night. I was up at Pastor Rogers and the guy shared the gospel message that night. About 20 kids stood up to receive Christ. You know, you see these things take place. But we want to be able to declare, see, oh, I've, heard, I've heard of your works. I've heard of what you can do. I've heard of the deeds. I stand in awe of what you can do. Oh, but God wants to do those things in your life and through your life. So that you can, as an individual, speak and proclaim of his goodness firsthand. That's what's really exciting. Micah 7.18 Who is a God like you, who pardons sin 
and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Who is a God like you? We sing, there is none like you. There is, may that be reflected in our lives. May that be reflected in what we do. And may we, as people, be able to go out and show the difference God has made in our lives. Um, I'm not, actually, I will, I will ask the, 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 the song people to come up. Can I ask the, actually, I just want a guitar or something. Someone play guitar, please. Hey, Chris, come on up. Come on up. Just play guitar, thanks. I would like, oh, like, can I get the prayer team to come up, please? Prayer team, we're not going to think, we're just going to pray. We're just going to pray now. But if you want to be prayed for as well, if you, and I know for a fact, because I go through this myself, if you are feeling like, blah, are you, if you're feeling stagnant in your growth, if you're feeling, if you just feel like you're going through the motions. See, no one, no one likes just going through the motions. No one likes just sitting there and, and, you know, if you want to be prayed for that God might revive our hearts, then I would love it for you to come forward and, and, and be prayed for. I would love, if you want to pray with somebody there, if you want to, I just ask everyone to be upstanding. And if you just want to be prayed for, then come up specifically as individuals. If you want to be prayed for specifically as individuals, then come forward and we'll pray for you. I'll give you guys a few moments. And if you just want to be prayed for about something else, then sure, come on forward. But I don't want to fall into the trap as a church, as brothers and sisters, as a family, just as individuals. I don't want us to be content with just existing. I don't want to be content in just existing. I want us to be able to experience the abundance that Christ has promised us. I want us to be able to communicate that to others but I want us to be real in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'll give you guys a few moments. And if you want to come over and and be prayed for, man, we would love to pray for you. I want to close in prayer in about a a few seconds. I'll give you guys just some quiet times now and I'll stop talking. And if you want to come up after I close in prayer and be prayed for, I'd love to do that as well. Father, as we come before you this morning, we cry like Micah did, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you that pardons and forgives? Who is a God like you that is holy and just? Who is a God that loves the unlovable and forgives the sinner? There is none like you. Father, we come before you and we ask for you to work within our hearts. We 
are dissatisfied with our spiritual walks if we are just existing. We are discontent in our state if we are merely going through the motions. We ask, Lord, that you will stir within our hearts through the revelation of your Son a desire to know just who you are, to know the way you work, to understand your character, to see the majesty of your person, and to see the way you do just such amazing things in each of our lives. We ask, Father, that you will help us as individuals to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and to run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, we cry out to you now and ask for you to stir our hearts, that you make us uncomfortable, that you help us, Lord, to find our true contentment, our true purpose and everything that you are, Lord, to be our complete fulfillment in our life. May we not be consumed with this world, but rather be consumed with the kingdom to come. So, Father, we ask you to dismiss us now. And if there is anybody, Lord, that you have burdened our hearts for, that we will be diligent in praying for them. So we commit ourselves to you. And we ask, Lord, that the commitment be just not in word, but in deed and in life. And we ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name.